There's the Ikenie no Yoru, which is the, the Night of Sacrifice, which is a Wii balance board game where you walk or run on the balance board. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Oh, yeah, I have it. It's great. I beat it. <laughs> um, That's amazing. How yeah, did that game it, not come out here? Oh, I don't know, right? Um, but yeah, no combat. You can only run away on the balance board. It tells you how many calories you burn. It's great. Based on the games that Chris Pruett works on over at Robot Invader, Rise of the Blobs, Wind Up Night, cool games that you should check out on your Android and iOS devices, you might be surprised to learn that he's also a huge horror nerd. I think if there's anyone in this game's industry that ups my interest in horror, it is definitely Chris. Uh, he runs uh, Chris's, uh, what's it called, the Survival Horror Quest? Chris's Survival Horror Quest, which is a website which has chronicled his interest in the genre, breaking down the design of these games, what makes them work, what makes them doesn't work. He has played everything, and if not everything, just about everything. And so, you know, thinking about ways uh, to talk about horror in October, thinking about people to talk to, Chris was at the top of my list, and uh, I'm so glad to bring, I think, the first of many conversations that we're going to have about the genre in the future. Uh, Chris is a guy that has illuminated... Uh, my my interest in the genre and uh, every time I talk to him he always brings up a handful of games that I have never heard of including that one you heard at the top so without further ado let's jump into uh, our conversation about uh, horror games that's what me yesterday that I slept I slept for <laughs> half a day and then I watched a David Cronenberg movie <laughs> <laughs> which one Dead Ringers I don't think I've seen that one it's weird <laughs> oh that's that's shocking that's you know that's not usually you know in the top 10 uh, words that people use to describe cronenberg cronenberg yeah it's um is it weird for cronenberg i think it might be weird for cronenberg. <laughs> it's pretty weird there was just they just announced someone's gonna do a remake of one of his early flicks why would you do that why which which one was it no it was a weird one too uh uh um, the Brood. They should do a Brood remake. No, should, it's. Right? <laughs> I mean, they should. Yes, that that one actually makes a lot of sense. Like you could. That's see... the one I would remake if I was. A, you know, I don't think you can really remake most of those movies. No, there's the, most of his films are are so incredibly his. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm thinking. I'm not thinking of. Weirdo thing about. Dead Ringers is the protagonists are um, twins who are both gynecologists who um, they share the same office and they live together and they look exactly the same and they're both played by Jeremy Iron. Wait, really? That's yeah. weird. Yeah, it's a weirdo <laughs> setup, right? So, oh, look at me. I just I just said weird. Yeah, it's a weirdo setup to begin with, and then you know you watch the movie and you're like, okay, oh, yeah, that was pretty fucked up, and. Um, I, I read a little bit about it, and it's like based on very loosely, I believe, an actual pair of twins or gynecologists who share the same practice and live together. Shivers. Uh, Shivers. So that's like, whoa. <laughs> Shivers. That's the one that's getting a remake. Shivers. Okay. I don't think I saw that. Maybe I have I... not seen that either. Uh, it's. 
I'm trying to see. Uh, this write-up says, The original Shivers was a science-gone-awry tale that played into sexual fears. One mad scientist, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no surprise, shit, surprise. <laughs> uh, developed a parasite that one part aphrodisiac, one part venereal disease. Once these creepy critters latch onto a host, it essentially makes them a VD-ridden nymphomaniac hell-bent on sex and passing on the parasite. You know, that does sound like several Cronenberg movies I have seen, though. Yeah, he certainly, yeah, it, it definitely, <laughs> it's... I haven't heard, I mean, I've heard of Shivers. I've just never seen it. Yeah, um, I don't think I've, I've seen it until it sounds familiar. Yeah. My guess is it's probably one of those that you can probably only appreciate if you have a deep appreciation for what he did later. Um, right. You know, one of those that sort of informs everything that he went on to refine later, uh, but that is probably pretty raw. Uh, it might be, yeah. The Brood is pretty awesome as an early Cronenberg, I think. I guess it's not that early, but... In his, but I feel like it's it's one of those that yeah, someone that gets into Cronenberg that's not where they start. You know, they the right, it's like sure. one of those that you work backwards to after right. So as you video, the is something. kind of like the brood in that it takes a really really long time to get weird. I mean, it's the setup is weird, the whole, but it's played straight for almost the entire movie. Uh, I, think know, part, I think that's part of what it makes it work. Right, like that's that's like the the fun is. Uh, is when a film is able to sort of keep its poker face that right. long. I mean, that's part of the reason. Uh, I think From Dust Till Dawn is just an okay film, but I like, I love showing it to people that don't know what it is <laughs> right. and just not informing them about it. Just like, ah, it's a, it's a good movie. Like, let's just, you know, let's just watch it. And then when the turn happens halfway through, right. like right. it's and just watch, like just waiting for it to happen and watching their face transform. Like, wait, what? What the hell are we watching? Like, when is this going to... I thought this was a crime flick. <laughs> yeah, like, when it flips the script... It's, it's one of my favorite... I don't know how that movie got made, because that's just such a... It's weird. Strange yeah. flipping the script in, in a way that is intentionally deceptive if you don't... I'd have to go back and watch the trailer. I wonder if the trailer gives that away. It must, right? It has to. Uh, I don't remember. I remember going into it not knowing that it had vampires in it. See, that's great. Like that, if you know it as vampires, then you might as well not watch it. Audition works that way for me too. That's true. I knew I, mean, I, I knew what that movie was kind of about by the time I got around to it. You can still enjoy it, but it's yeah, it has a it has a similar sort of you get I mean, more out of it. It's slow for the first like hour, maybe hour and fifteen minutes, and then I get to the you know foot cutting. <laughs> well, then, I think that I think that's what. I, I knew it was slow, so I was still able to enjoy it, but I wouldn't blame someone if they went into it after hearing so much about it. Right. And then, you know, you appreciate it slow if you can appreciate that kind of film. But if you've heard so much about how violent and crazy yeah. it is, yeah, you might then, be wondering, uh, like, you know, what's going on. But it's it's why, you know, I, I really liked, uh, is it Ty West's uh, House of the Devil? Uh, for oh, I didn't same. see that. You haven't seen that? Oh, it's great. Oh. It came out a couple of years ago. And have you seen any of Ty West stuff? I think I saw he did the conjuring, right? I saw that. This no, week. that's James Wan. Uh, oh, who am I thinking of then? Oh, hang on. Ty West. I have. Oh, I saw VHS. That's what I saw that he did a section of. He did a section of that. Uh, he did a movie called The Innkeepers. That's uh, a pretty okay. It's not. Oh good, yeah, it's pretty good. What's that? Um, it's on Netflix Instant. Uh, House of the Devil used to be, and it's it's not anymore. But uh, House of the Devil is is before he did that before The Innkeepers, and it's it's basically like a like straight 70s slasher flick in huh. both its cinematography and pacing in the sense but it's also well aware that it's a 
seventies slasher flick in twenty eleven. And but yes, it does right. and, and it it plays with that expectation in the sense that if you know you know, it's not as like fourth wall breaking as like a cabin in the woods, but it right. is also super hyper aware of what it yeah. is yeah, and, yeah. and plays with your expectations of the of the movie's pacing in a in a really uh fun All way. All right, I'm gonna have to watch it. You you piqued my interest. Um so anyway, I guess we should talk about games. Yeah, man. Let's talk about something. Uh, well, for, for people that don't know, like why you have Chris's Survival Horror Quest. Yeah. Uh, which is a website you've been running for uh, quite a long time now. Like, what? Where did where did that come from? Where did where did it go from? I just like to play horror games to I'm going to try and sit down and do sort of a serious analysis uh, about the genre. Right. Well, so the the website is ten years old this year. Congratulations. Um, kind of blows me away. Um, I was looking at the the first post that I made, which was in 2003. So, yeah, 10 years. That's crazy. Um, but it started out mostly as a shopping list, to tell you the truth. Like, the I'm a programmer, so I solve all problems with programming. And I wanted to – I decided that I was going to try to play as many horror games as I could just because I, I enjoyed them. And um, – I had this Excel spreadsheet that I put together. And I have to, at the time, I was working for a uh, video game company. I was a lead programmer on uh, some pretty forgettable Game Boy Advance games. And um, the, I had just moved out to California uh, from New York so that my wife could go to, to graduate school. So I was working basically from our dorm room, and, uh, which was fine for my job. Um, but it's kind of, uh, soul destroying after a while. I mean, I guess maybe, you know, <laughs> this feeling of working remote, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it takes, uh, not only a certain person, but, uh, it, you have to put almost as much effort into your quality of life, if not more so when you are working from home, because yeah, it can be, it can be super destructive over right, the, over like the I long term. Didn't know anybody in California, and I had to invent reasons to go outside. You know, which means I had to invent reasons to like take a shower. Uh, you know, so it was a there was a period there where I was um, just trying to figure out what to what to do in addition to my my job. You know, uh, so I started playing horror games, and I played a lot up until that point. But just the you know sort of standard fare. I, I enjoyed Resident Evil. I enjoyed Resident Evil 2. I enjoyed Silent Hill a whole lot. Uh, and I was, wanted to sort of branch out. And so um, I just started with a list. I made a list and it was an Excel spreadsheet and I had about 10 games on it. And I was like, okay, these all look like horror games that I can play with the PlayStation 2 I have in my room or something. Um, you know, let's let's do this. And as I started to look for more, uh, I found that there were a lot more, and a lot of them were really quite obscure. Um, and a lot of them were only in Japan, uh, and a lot of them hadn't... It was difficult to tell if they were actually horror or just sort of related to Resident Evil in the way that they were played. Mm. Um, so being a programmer, I um, decided to solve this by making a database and putting everything in a database and making a web front end to it and that being like a side project for me to write this sort of web front end for a database and then also store all this game information in there. And then I thought, like, you know, I can track my progress and then it'll be uh, motivating because I'll be able to post it online. We didn't really have like the word blog, I don't think, when we started. No. So I, th I thought of like, I thought of the 
in fact, in the code, the, the front page is, um, is still called news because I thought I was going to, you know, post poor game news. <laughs> but that got really, really fast because, you know, there's really not that much horror game news outside of, you know, October. I got some screenshots that somebody leaked to me that I thought were cool and I posted those and, you know, whatever. Um, but pretty quickly, I started playing games. First of all, I found a bunch of them. I put them in the database. And then I started playing them and very, very quickly realized that um, they were pretty different. There was one, Some of them were very similar, but some of the really best ones were, were quite different. Um, and I got real interested in how they worked at a game design level. And so over, I would say, a period of maybe two or three years, the site changed from being primarily a database of video games to primarily a blog. Uh, where I would complete a game and then uh, post what I thought of as a review, but in hindsight is something more like, when they're good, a, a design analysis. Uh, and eventually I figured out that I was much more interested in the mechanics of horror game design than in actually um, reviewing games or posting news or anything like that. So I would say probably about 2003 or 2004, 2005, the site fully sort of switched over to being, let's talk about game design. And, I, you know, it's, I also just use it to post about whatever I like um, that I think would be interesting to people who are like horror games. So I talk about horror movies that I've watched or things like that. But the, the main um, thrust of the site has become to be uh, analysis of how horror games work, what are the underlying mechanics of horror, both in terms of sort of game mechanics and also just generally across media? How does horror work? Uh, and then why games in this genre have developed the way that they have and, and things like that. And I still find it quite fascinating. I realized partway through um, my real goal is to understand how games can be used to evoke specific emotions. And outside of the horror genre, there are not a whole lot of games that are reliably designed to evoke one specific emotion. You know, we have a lot of games that are like, this is going to be an adrenaline rush, or you're going to feel awesome, or you're going to be a space ninja, um, which is, you know, a, a, a class of emotions, I think. But not a whole lot of games outside of horror that are like, we want you to feel exactly this way at exactly this point. There are more now than there were when I started, but still, I think the horror genre is rife with, with that type of title. Even when it's a failure, I'd like to understand what they, what they were trying to do. Um, I think I think that's an interesting point because you see a lot of, you know, especially these days, games talking about how they want to, you know, be more empathetic or emotional. And, you know, the idea being that that's difficult because there's not a lot of uh, precedent for that. So there aren't a whole lot of uh, not necessarily formulas, but at the very least lessons to follow in terms of sort of evoking that uh, for the player. And sort of accidentally, uh, horror games have this long lineage of evoking you know maybe not what we consider an emotion sure you know because usually emotion when someone says that word they're thinking you know elation or crying like i think we think of that i think more in positive terms than we do it's, a, uh, it's an emotional response though. yeah right? yeah so what, 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 what has been like the you know you you just wrote you know a piece about what you know sort of useful tips are for horror game designers to not do but i'd rather right. start from uh, the other end of that like what do, what have you noticed sort of thematically that that makes them work uh the ones that do work right so the couple of big things some of them are just general horror principles and not specific to video games but um 
the things that a lot of the successful horror games do, and when I say successful, I mean they succeed in making you scared. They might fail in other areas. A lot of horror games have really awful game mechanics. You know? <laughs> and in some ways that makes them endearing. No, and actually one of the takeaways is that if you really want to effectively evoke emotions, you might have to make compromises with your game mechanics in order to do that. Um, you know, the classic example there is moving and shooting in Resident Evil 4. Um, you, you could be able to move and shoot in Resident Evil 4, but they chose for you not to be able to. And that's specifically because it's intended to be a horror game. Um, and, you know, you look at other more recent games using the sort of same kind of combat system, and you can move and shoot, and they're less effective as horror. Although I think that's okay with them. They, 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 chose, they chose a different balance. Um, but I guess thematically, I would say the biggest... Well, I'd say the, the thing that, that the most successful games do um, well is something that I call negative space. Uh, and there are a lot of different terms for that, but that's the idea of sort of reading between the lines, where the, the narrative uh, exists and is complicated, but it doesn't, it's not explicitly um, handed to you on a silver platter. You know, y you have to do some work as the player to understand what's going on. And in the best of these games, uh, the amount of work that you put into the game in terms of game mechanics will affect the amount of uh, sort of narrative clarity that you get. So for example, in Silent Hill 2, if you notice at the beginning of the game that you have a picture of your dead wife in your inventory, and you look at it fairly closely, then you might notice a little bit later in the game that the outfit she's wearing appears in an apartment where you find a flashlight. And that's a pretty major clue that uh, you know the, what's happening in Silent Hill is, is not what it appears to be on the surface. Uh, but that kind of sort of feeling that the story has a lot of depth, but you're not exactly sure what happens or what, what, the, what, what the structure of that depth is, um, is something that's a huge horror affordance. Because all horror is about making you feel like you're not in control. It's the, the feeling of loss of control that we find, that we find scary. So any way that the game designer can make you feel like you're, you're not in control of the situation is something that's going to put you in a... Um, state that makes it easier for you to be scared. And if you are, if you're forced to pay attention to the narrative and forced to pay attention to like just things in the background or, or you know, arbitrary little level art or, or geometry somewhere off in the distance, uh, that forces you to focus on what you're doing uh, a lot closer than you might if you were just say, shooting everything that's on the screen. So I think that. Um, tendency to have a narrative that at least appears to be deeper or appears to be complicated and not very well um, communicated to you is what almost every good horror game hood good horror game does and some of them reveal their hand at the end of the story and some of them do not uh, and some of them reveal their hand in such a way that you know that there are still mysteries that are remaining to be to be solved like in silent hill 2 again um there's a very brief scene with another character where everything is suddenly on fire. And that scene's never explained. Um, and it sort of happens and then it and then it ends. And if you think about it, you could probably figure out what that scene is supposed to mean. But the fact that they put in a scene that has no obvious meaning that is not specifically resolved by 
the conclusion of the game is a pretty good example of, of negative space. Do, do you have a particularly, uh, is there a particular horror game that you sort of either return to or think about a lot when you, when you start looking at other ones? Like, is there, is there one that you find that is more successful than others in, in terms of employing a lot of this stuff? My, uh, yeah, it's, and I, and I guess, and I guess you could, you could, like, you could separate what is your favorite horror game from the one that you think is perhaps the most effective design-wise, because I could see those being different things. Yeah, I don't think there's a perfect horror game. Um, I think there are some titles that do very, very well with what they have. I think Amnesia does quite, quite well with what it has, but it intentionally selects a pretty simple interface. Um, the, the more complicated the interface gets, the the more problematic maintaining the horror it becomes. Uh, there's also an obscure Japanese game called Hell Knight uh, for PlayStation 1, which is extremely simple and extremely effective. And it's actually quite similar to Amnesia in that there's no combat and you have to sort of run away from, from enemies. Uh, but it's got just the, the worst graphics you've seen. Um, you know, even by PlayStation 1 standards, they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, and the, uh, the controls are, are very simple and there's really nothing about the mechanics that are super interesting and it's a, quite effective. It also does the number two thing that all good horror games do, which is has amazingly good sound design. Um, in terms of game that I return to over and over again, I think Siren is probably the scariest game that I've played. Uh, and it has remained the scariest game I've played since I played it in like 2004. And it's got all kinds of problems um it's got all kinds of crazy mechanics and things that are not communicated well to the player and ui problems and issues with collision detection and things like that and it remains phenomenal in terms of horror game design um, because it does everything in its power to make you feel like you're out of control including um you know having crazy puzzles that you've never seen before and making you think outside of the box when it comes to solving puzzles and employing a large number of characters so that you can't be sure which one are going to live and which ones are going to die. And you know, the story is out of order. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy negative space. It's, uh, it's sort of a, it's incredibly difficult game. So I think that only the really hardcore fans got to appreciate it, which is too bad. And I think the PlayStation uh, 3 remake is all right, but it loses a lot of the things that were, were good about the, the first one. Uh, that's the game that I sort of hold everything else up to in terms of ability to execute on a very specific emotion uh, across a, a number of sort of gameplay systems and mechanics. So is the is Blood Curse or is that that's a remake of one of the the earlier ones? Yes, it's oh, okay. I mean, it's almost a different game. I mean, there's very there's very little in common with it. Okay, because that's uh, the, that's and, the only one I've played, and and that that's you know by far when people ask me about. You know, Amnesia is sort of the easy recommendation, but I feel like uh, Siren Blood Curse is sort of my number two uh, favorite horror game from from the last five years or so. But you know, that's that's predicated on you know I have not played the previous entries, although I know I've I've heard very good things about them. You know, specifically about the mechanics of being able to to jump around into the uh, the viewpoints yes. of enemies, which is yes. surprisingly I, I'm genuinely shocked that no one else has taken that. That should be something that someone should rip off. <laughs> oh, for sure. And they kind of messed it up in Blood Curse. It's better. The implementation is better, I think, in the original. Um, you know, it, what the tension here between 
sort of the goals of a horror game and the goals of modern game design comes down to like how much do you want to respect the player and you can see this tension at play in games like dead space dead space is so slick everything about it is is made to be a modern video game you know it, it's extremely smooth every the production values are you know off the charts it's really really slick and it's so slick that it prevents them from accessing some of the horror content that they almost have access to like they will never hit you uh, in a cheap way because that would be cheap and that wouldn't be respecting the player but if they can't have cheap hits then they can't keep you off your guard you know in dead space 2 there's a section where you um I mean, there's a couple of sections where you have to sort of crawl through a maintenance shaft. And the idea is that you have to put your weapons away when you crawl through the maintenance shaft, so you're in a vulnerable position. But because the game design is intent on respecting you, you can be very assured that you're never going to take a cheap hit while crawling through that maintenance shaft, and so it has no tension. There's no tension associated with that scene, at least for me, whatsoever. Uh, with a game like Siren, I mean, they, they will just drop a boulder on you out of the middle of nowhere or whatever. They don't... They have no... <laughs> Um, it, it's actually a quite quite a fair game, but the mechanics are not set up in your favor. The mechanics are set up to be quite difficult, and a lot of folks um, just hit a wall with that game because it's just it's just too hard, and the mechanics aren't explained to them. So I felt in in, in uh, Blood Curse they um, they ease back on that a little bit in order to make the game more playable, but it also caused it to be less scary. Yeah, I think that's that probably explains a whole lot of why you've seen horror disappear from you know sort of the the mainstay of you know sort of triple a or if you watch the evolution of resident evil as a franchise it's you know exactly what you're talking about about respecting the player is sort of contrary to uh risk averse big budget uh, mainstream appeal and and i don't you know in some ways don't really blame those games for moving away from that because you know it is an enormous you know risk to trust that your audience will put up with punishment. You know, I mean, Dark Souls, sure, like, that's worked. It's worked right. fine for that. But, you know, I don't think you can look at Dark Souls and necessarily take a trend from that, at least one that you're going to get, you know, a big publisher to sign off on. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of Resident Evil 4. I think it's a fantastic game. But I think it basically killed the horror genre on console for um, at least five years. You know, I mean, I think that... that cost of game development has gone up in the last decade at such a rate that Capcom and everybody else quickly realized that they were not going to be able to make money with games that only reach a niche audience. And so they had to make changes to make their games not quite as niche as they were before. And you think like, okay, well, Resident Evil 1 doesn't, I mean, that sold like 4 million units on PlayStation 1. It doesn't sound like a niche game. But by the time they got to Resident Evil 4, I mean, the, the most recent releases were like the remake of the first one and Resident Evil 0. I think they were GameCube only. Um, I think the that that format had sort of dug itself into a hole, uh, and so they had to sort of reinvent it, and they did that with something that was significantly more mainstream. But because that game, Resident Evil Four, was so successful, then all subsequent horror games are sort of based on that. And Resident Evil Four is not a very scary game. It still maintains some you know horror DNA. Uh, it's but, tense. But, it's not really scary. It's just it's a muscle that they don't choose to flex very often. Right. It hasn't atrophied completely. Like it's there, but it's they, they choose not to use it. Or they you can see like in the moving and shooting thing, you can see specific places where they're like, nope, we really want to continue to have this. Or you know, like their their characters are badasses. And one of the things that horror games often do is they have 
sort of vulnerable looking characters or everyman um, so that it's easier to put those people in danger. When you have a badass character, you have to have an even bigger, badder enemy in order to put those people in danger. So like the unkillable chainsaw man is how you put a badass like Leon in danger. Um, you can see that the, that the elements are there, but it's not their focus. And by the time you get to like Resident Evil 5 or Resident Evil 6, it's, it's clearly not their focus. You can move and shoot in Resident Evil 6. They're like, screw it. It's a, it's, they're no longer interested, for better or for worse, mostly worse, I think. But they're no longer interested in um, evoking that emotional response. Now they're interested in making a game that is going to have mass appeal, which they think is uh, perhaps orthogonal. So I, I actually think that if it hadn't been for games like Amnesia to sort of restart the the scene on another platform, uh, there would be almost nothing available today. And because of Amnesia, we have tons. But it's because platforms and uh, that can support smaller developers that are willing to take risks on sort of smaller projects have evolved. Not because the, the console guys have, you know, turned around and decided to make horror games again. Yeah, and, and I think Amnesia, you know, as scary as it is, I think it's probably its most influential uh, sort of legacy trait will, will be the fact that it, you know, those guys, you know, you know, frictional through iteration discovered that combat was something that just didn't didn't work for them or was uh, problematic for what they were trying to achieve uh, yeah. in terms of scaring the player. And I think if anything, dropping horror or dropping uh, combat as as a mechanic or even an, an element is probably the single biggest uh, thing that that, you know, in terms of freeing up other developers to yep. even think about making horror games, because you know, games, if they do anything really well, is combat. And player expectations for combat is really high. And even when you have horror games that try to have protagonists that are intentionally poor at combat because they are an everyman, uh, it's right. hard to not play those games and get a little frustrated because the right. character is at odds with our expectations for what uh, the fidelity of combat should be. And so when you remove that, and you have, you know, amnesia where you hide, or slender where you just have a flashlight. It immediately sort of removes that as an expectation for what the game is capable of doing. And also from the developer side, you know, I'm not a developer, but everyone I talk to, you know, it's just, you know, combat is its own whole thing. So when you don't have to build that, you can you can focus on everything else. For sure, and you know, the the hardest thing for us as developers, I think, is figuring out ways for the player to express themselves through a controller. Because a controller is not very expressive unless the level of expression you have is like punch guy in face. So if you remove the need to be expressive by um, you know, sort of button inputs, then you allow the player to be expressive via other things, like just moving around. I, I think... Um, to your point, actually, Amnesia is certainly not the first game to eschew combat. Um, there's a number of console titles even before Amnesia, and have come out since that are not very well known that do exactly the same thing. So I mentioned Hell Knight. There's also the Echo Knight series, particularly Echo Knight Beyond. That's pretty niche. Uh, that was a PlayStation Two title. I played there, the I played Echo Knight One, which was on yeah, PS One. It's, it's yep. set on a ship, right? That's right. There's also a second one, which only came out in, uh, uh, in Japan. But the third one, Beyond, is set in a space station. It's pretty fantastic. 
Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's over in about four hours, and there's no combat whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, it's great. I like it a lot. Uh, there's also you know Silent Hill Shattered Memories, but even before that, on Wii, we had a number of sort of similar titles. Like there was uh, Juon the Grudge, uh, which has no combat and a flashlight and walking around and running away from bad guys. Um, and uh, a little bit about the same time we had on DS, there was Nanashi no Game, which is the, the nameless game about the cursed DS game in which there's a 3D mode and a 2D uh, sort of JRPG mode. And that is also run away from enemies without any combat. There's the Ikenie no Yoru, which is the, the Night of Sacrifice, which is a Wii balance board game where you walk or run on the balance board. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Oh, yeah, I have it. It's great. I beat it. <laughs> um that's amazing how did that game not come out here oh i don't know right um but yeah no combat you can only run away on the balance board it tells you how many calories you burn it's great oh that's amazing Uh, you know sometime if you want to talk about that game i'd be willing to talk all about that game (laughs) oh i will i'm Um, gonna have to keep that in mind so it's not a trend that's specific to amnesia but what amnesia did is it blew up it did really really well it's a great game it's much better than almost all the games i just mentioned um, and it was on a platform where it could survive without a big publisher deciding whether or not to fuel it with with life or not. Um, so, and that I think allowed independent developers and smaller developers and folks like that to say, "Oh, hey, I could do something like that too." And even if not doing exactly the same thing, it's it's a way for it, it's provided you know sort of the the uh, catalyst for a whole bunch of new horror games. I think it's actually fantastic. So, so I know you have to, to leave in a minute. So uh, as you close out, I know you have not uh, revealed it yet, but you're, you're teasing something that you're working on that, that certainly seems to have a, a horror bent or a horror influence. And I wonder, uh, not to ask you too much about that specifically, but more in general terms, you know, when you transition from, you know, dissecting a genre, playing a genre to, you know, thinking about, you know, making uh, your own mark uh, on a genre that you clearly have given a lot of thought to, is that exciting or is that really terrifying? Someday I will make an awesome horror game. I have decided. Uh, the <laughs> project that we're working on now is not a horror game, but it is certainly influenced by this research that I've done. Actually, all the games I've ever worked on since I started doing this have been interesting. But this one is very directly influenced and the folks who like horror games will find find a lot of stuff to to liken it um but it gives me working on it uh even more appreciation for the folks that are executing at a very high level of expertise in this genre because it drives home how hard a lot of this stuff is you know the games that are really good make it seem easy but even sort of mundane things like how do we design puzzles um, to occur in a sequence that will be interesting to solve but won't drag the player down and pull them out of the game. That's pretty hard. That's significantly harder than you might imagine if uh, you hadn't made one of these games before. Um, or another sort of mundane example is a, a long time ago, um, Casey Richardson, who's a co-founder of Robot Invader, and I, we made a um, sort of Resident Evil game engine demo to see if we could do it. You know, basically exactly what you get in a Code Veronica or something like that. It's a 3D game, but it fixed cameras, and they track or move, and they cut. Turns out, like, the hardest part about that kind of engine is placing the trigger boxes to change the camera angles. Um, you know, whoever is going to, if you were going to make a proper game that way, 
you'd have to build a whole bunch of tools to make sure that your characters weren't going to walk off the side of the screen or that the cuts were going to happen at the right the right time and that when when they cut the character would still be oriented in a way that would make sense to the viewer and things like that and it's something you'd never think about by by playing it but in fact it's incredibly difficult to do right so the more that i work on this stuff myself the you know the greater appreciation i have for the games that have already come and sort of shown us the way but you do you do want to make sort of a straight up proper horror game at some point have you given have, sure. you given have you given that a lot of thought over what that would be or do you think that is something that'll just kind of come to you when when the opportunity uh, oh i got sense? a million ideas but, <laughs> you know honestly to do it right um it has to be a pretty big project by um you know robot invader makes games for phones and tablets and we make pretty freaking awesome games for phones and tablets i think but if we were to embark on a horror game it would be a significantly larger project than anything we've made to date because that's what it would take to do it right and so my having not made it yet is mostly logistics rather than uh lack of desire or, or lack of ideas <laughs> all right cool well, well chris i will i will leave you to it but uh as always bud appreciate checking yeah, man, with you this you. is this a lot of fun we should uh about this stuff you know yeah yeah no i want to i want to try and do this more often even outside of uh october and stuff like that it's just it. it's uh it's a lot of fun so uh so we will we will check in again soon and i will i will let you go okay man take All it right, easy man. thanks a lot Talk take care later. bye, bye.